Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce James Mulvaney. James is a serial entrepreneur in the radio and podcast space. He's the founder of Radio.co, Podcast.co, and Matchmaker.fm. He has 15 years of experience running software and media companies, and he's also the host of the Create, Reach, Inspire podcast. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, what a great intro. Yeah. So we actually met on the app you created, Matchmaker.fm. Yeah. It's a way to connect podcast guests and hosts. Tell us more about your goals with that. And I know that right now you're, you were doing this 30 podcasts in 30 days challenge, which you've by far surpassed at this point. Right? <laughs> Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the main goals with Matchmaker is to build connections, obviously, and we like bringing people together. And it really came around because we were launching another platform, podcast.co. We were looking at the market and we had a lot of customers who were coming to us saying, you know, how do you find guests? Or people who wanted to get on podcasts saying, you know, how do you get books on podcasts? Is there some kind of technique that you can use or um, whatever? And of course, a lot of the traditional ways are, you know, you might hit up LinkedIn or you might hit up social media. Um, Lots of authors have been using podcasting to sort of promote new books that they've been releasing. But we thought it'd be be a great idea to kind of build a community to bring everyone together in one place where, you know, you know, everyone on there is is either actively looking to, to be featured on podcasts or from a guest perspective, you know, everyone who's got a podcast list on the platform is, is actively looking for great and interesting guests to speak to. We, we kind of build a, built a really primitive MVP last year um, to kind of validate the idea and make sure that there was really a demand for this. And then we, we worked, got to work building the platform and once we kind of validated the idea and, and then we launched in uh, February 2020. So it's been a little over four, four and a half, five months now. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's actually pretty recent, right? That that you've been, you just launched this. It's grown pretty quickly. Yeah, we're just hitting, we're about to hit four and a half thousand users uh, pretty much now, actually. I think we're almost there. So, um, you know, it was, it was great because when we saw it kind of go from zero to a thousand, you were like, wow, okay, this is, we're onto something here. And then you get to 2,000 and 3,000. And obviously the next big goal is going to be like 5,000 and then 10,000 users. So I think, you know, it's it's not slow. You know, um, showing any any sort of signs of slowing down. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting as well, when we're looking at statistics, is you know, when you build a platform like this, you don't want to just have lots of kind of ghost profiles. You know, like I remember back in the day when Twitter first launched, there was all those profiles just with like the little egg as the symbol, mm-hmm. which just had no activity. Mm-hmm. We were conscious that we wanted to actually build something where most of the or, or as many of the people on the platform as possible were actually really engaged and making sure that they were getting the mess, most value out of the platform and actually making those connections because really that's the point of the service so we made the decision rather than to, to begin with rather than opening up as kind of you know public profiles we have kind of like a closed ecosystem which has allowed us to focus on quality to begin with and making sure that rather than just getting you know hundreds of thousands of users of people who aren't really engaged with it we've got a few thousand but we know that they're super engaged and a really good quality in terms of you know going out manually and looking for guests who we think would be interesting and doing a lot of outreach mm-hmm. and also um i think it's grown more recently due to word of mouth there's lots of people who are now posting it on different groups or masterminds they're part of that kind of thing mm-hmm. so it sounds like you're focused really on the engagement and quality of mm. of the guests and hosts rather yep. than just growing your numbers 
how do you control for that and how do you like set objectives in that way well i think to begin with like i say it's been mainly because there's you know the, the closed ecosystem you can't get onto the pro onto the platform until you've completed a profile so if you're willing to go to that extent where you know you fill out a profile you upload your an image and you know you tell you tell the audience more about your show or if you're a guest you tell to sort of host more about you know what areas of expertise you have that commitment will almost um, encourage people to therefore use the platform you know obviously once you then receive a message you then get an email so that kind of helps people coming back to the platform as well and, and once they come back to the platform you know we, we want to try and encourage engagement mm -hmm. one of the features that we're going to be rolling out soon is also ability to make your profile more dynamic via video so rather than just saying here's me you can actually record a pitch say you know this is why i think i'd be great for your show uh, and we're kind of building that right into the platform so i think i'm thinking that's going to help you know further kind of spur on those conversations between people mm -hmm. what's really interesting is that it's kind of like a business within a business startup yes. within a startup yeah that's exactly it right so how are you balancing the fact that you know this was matchmaker was intended to be part of podcast.co yeah i mean i think in terms of um, as an entrepreneur in business you sometimes have to look at other opportunities so when you launch a company you know that company can end up looking completely different a year or two years down the line so we're still working on podcast.co we're still gaining traction in that market as well but really what we wanted to do was find some way to kind of differentiate ourselves from every other podcasting company. And I think Matchmaker has been one of the ways that we can do this. But then also as well, like, you know, when you're onto a good thing and you sort of seeing growth that's this quick and this exciting, you know, as I think as an entrepreneur, it's important for me to kind of look at opportunities and, and making sure that you know if we're identifying an opportunity it's not just getting left left behind so mm. it, it's a case of like right we have a sub team who are working on this product so we're not taking away too much focus from our our main objective as a business our main kind of core business but ultimately as well you know this is a currently completely free service for, for everyone involved we'll need to figure out at some point a way of monetizing it so i think we'll move to a freemium model so there's always going to be a free um you know a tier almost uh but then then you can potentially pay for more messages or pay for premium options etc so yeah i think that there's different things we can do with it but it's um it's one of these things where we as i say we have a sub team sort of working on it and we're kind of focusing now on on marketing and growing it as well gotcha gotcha so you've been kind of working in the broadcast space forever like for mm. your entire career what Absolutely. got you first interested in that when I was really young, I wanted to go into radio. I always loved music. I loved the idea of just entertaining people. So I kind of started doing work experience at local radio stations and kind of just went from there. Instead of going into the radio industry, I ended up going and doing my degree in interactive multimedia, which is kind of a combination of design and programming. So I kind of learned how to write code, build websites, and I think then I just sort of fused the two together, really. I, I learned how to broadcast on the internet. There were some bits of software that, you know, were, were kind of freely available, which allowed you to do that. So I kind of just sort of took those bits of software and built a website, you know, and, and kind of started selling streaming media services to the industry. Really, to begin with, it was like a side hustle. It was a, a project for me whilst I was at college and then university. And I, all I wanted to do back then was just make some money, you know, some chump change on the side. I can go out and have fun with my friends. 
And, you know, it kind of then just grew into a, to a business. And suddenly I realized when I graduated that I didn't need to go out and get a job, which was great. I could kind of just focus on growing the company that I built and, um, you know, turning it into something which was more significant. So it kind of started out as more, more of a hobby, kind of something mm. you're doing for fun. Absolutely. Side yeah. projects. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I always say to people, you know, I've kind of given talks and things when I've gone back to my university and, and just to, to anyone who's asked that age, you know, when you're sort of between like, I don't know, 16 and 24 and, you know, especially if you're in education, it's yes, you've got to focus on if you, if you kind of this obviously costs a lot of money to go to university, especially nowadays. Um, but I think it's also a great time to explore different business opportunities and just try and see if you can make something work. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of time necessarily on it you just have to be clever about what you're doing and, and if you can kind of validate an idea or just sort of start making some money whilst you're at university mm-hmm. you know then there's a good opportunity to scale that into you know a quote-unquote proper business when you when you finish but you know I think you've kind of got you're at that age you know you've sort of got less to lose you don't have any outgoings you know so it, I think it's a really good time to sort of get started in, in business if that's something that you're interested in. Yeah, I mean, what do most people not know about like the lifestyle of being an entrepreneur? What do most people not know? I think there's this uh, certainly a perception now. Certainly, when I look when I speak to people who are like ten, fifteen years younger than me, you know, they're growing up. There is this perception. I think this entrepreneurial kind of rock star image has come around, where you know, you think, oh, yeah, you know, you, you're flying on private jets, and you know, I don't know, working on your laptop on on a desert island, you know. <laughs> But the reality of the situation was, you know, uh, to begin with, you've got to sometimes work very, very hard. It doesn't necessarily have to completely dominate your life, but you certainly have to put the hours in. And I think also just working smart as well, just making sure that, you know, you're, you're actually being productive with the time you spend on your business and thinking about how to actually grow and how to, to, to generate revenue. Mm-hmm. Again, I think there's another thing where, probably not so much now, but I remember like you know, five, 10 years ago, everyone used to come up to me at parties and be like, James, I've got a really good idea for an app. Uh, I want to build this app. Can you help me? And I'd be like, well, you know, first of all, have you thought about, you know, what, what's the purpose of this app? And I think this is the thing, there's this kind of misconception that it's sort of easy and it's just really fun. But actually, sometimes you've actually got to work really, really hard to get where you want to go. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely and for many years without like a guarantee of of anything right yeah absolutely earlier you mentioned kind of being flexible about the business itself if you identify a new opportunity on the way you would then yep. kind of shift your focus toward that or yeah i mean you know, again like i'm lucky i'm in a position where i've got a decent team who work with me now so we can if we decide we want to work on a new project you know we have to scale the resource accordingly so you know for matchmaker for example there's a different development team who are working on that product than on the main podcast.co product you know so there's only so many hours in your day so i think delegation is is very very important as an entrepreneur i've always been really big on hiring the best talent that i can to, to achieve the best result but also making sure that you know that talent is working well together so you know when you're taking a software product to market you've got to think about not just the actual code, but also, you know, how you're going to sell the thing, how you're going to attract business to your website. Um, it's all, it all forms part of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. How do you hire like the best talent? And then what do you think 
those people are looking for when they decide to join, a, you know, a startup company? I think the main uh, appeal for most of our team has been the culture. You know, we we have a very relaxed atmosphere. It's very different to working in like a corporate environment. That's been a big big sell. Um, interestingly, you know, the whole COVID situation I think has we've always had a very centralized team here in Manchester. We have had to hire some some people during this lockdown, and because we're not in the office as we normally would be, we decided to just sort of look further afield. So we ended up hiring someone in Canada and someone in the, the USA, where normally those positions would have probably been filmed, filled locally, but actually they've worked out just fine. So I think moving forward, there's going to be a shift in hiring. I think people are going to be working a lot in a much more distributed fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Times are changing in a more yeah. permanent way. Yeah, moving forward. In terms of delegation, you mentioned kind of managing your time efficiently and and really working with people who you can like allocate your resources properly. What other tips do you have in terms of juggling, you know, several responsibilities? You're operating multiple businesses and you just got tons of things going on. (laughs) I think um, my advice for someone who's, you know, in the early days, I made the mistake of sometimes going off on too many tangents. So I would have great ideas every week and I'd be like buying new domain names for different things that I wanted to do. And sometimes you would end up going off and spending time on something that you weren't really sure if it was going to work. But I think if you've got something that's actually starting to work and you can see that it's progressing and it's generating some kind of income for you, or it's starting to build a user base, you know, try and focus on that. I think sometimes you can be do, doing too many things at once. Sometimes I'm still guilty of this now. I'm a lot better than I used to be, but it's a, it's a case of, you know, again, they, they say it's a bit of a cliche saying, but like failing fast. If you're trying something, it's not working. You know, there's no harm in then going off and trying something different, but just make sure each time you reiterate, you're learning from the mistakes you've made or you think, okay, why did that not work out? Is it something to do with the market fit or is it something to do with how I executed it? Mm-hmm especially now it's so easy to test ideas online you know the the tools available now you know i didn't have access to half of that when i started 15 years ago it just it didn't exist you know the only way to build a website like 15 years ago was to use like dreamweaver and write html mm-hmm. you know nowadays it's so easy to build a website that looks really great and you don't really need any code knowledge or experience to do that so you can sort of throw something together you know start driving some traffic to it you can use things like linkedin automation to kind of start, you know, doing automating your outreach. We've been doing this a lot with Matchmaker, you know, to then drive people to that website. Um, and it doesn't really cost anything. You know, that's the fantastic thing about it. You don't need to go and spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on advertising. You can you can test an idea for, for pretty much nothing now, I think. You just need to know, you know, the pro- you just need a pro- to design a process to allow you to do it. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is just kind of test your ideas and don't commit too much time to it up front until you're starting to see some progress and starting to see some yeah. traction yeah make sure that validate the, the demand i always think you know uh, the, the way that you used to people used to do that was spend money on advertising and they'd say okay well mm. if we get so many clicks from google then it's going to work but i think nowadays you don't even need to do that it's just a case of you know find some people you know and again there's plenty of product launch sites where people happily give you feedback on ideas too so I think that's the other key thing to mention is once you've 
kind of started making some leeway with the project make sure you listen to, to, to users and what they're saying and if they're giving you feedback on how things should work or how things aren't aren't working properly make sure you try and fix them or, or, or react accordingly like specifically in terms of like time management mm. how, how does your what does your day look like oh that's a good question you know i i'm 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 you know i'll hold my hands up i'm not the most organized person okay <laughs> I have got too much going on in my head. So I'm very lucky. I have a very organized team who work with me and they sometimes need to give me a kick up the butt to say, James, come on, you're supposed to be doing this. Nowadays, I you know, rely heavily on my calendar. Tools like um, Calendly and Harmonizely, you know, calendar booking platforms, try and use some kind of project management soft- software. Again, you know, we use Jira for our development and and we use Trello a lot as well. There are lots of other fancy tools out there, you know, like Basecamp and Monday.com. So there's, you know, tons of project management tools. But I think even if it's just you starting a business on your own, having some kind of organization structure is, is probably good just mm-hmm. to keep, you know, to keep you on track. You know, back in um, like the late 2000s, when I started out, I didn't have access to Trello. I don't think it probably even existed then. Mm-hmm. I actually used to rely on like pen and paper. And each day I would have my day blocked off into hours. And I'd be right, literally in the morning, I'd write down what I was going to be doing, you know, throughout that day. And I'd just literally make sure I went through that list as, as quickly as possible. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, and of course, nowadays you, you're kind of sport for choice, really. There's tons of options out there for project management. I know it's pretty amazing that it's all within maybe the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Basecamp might have existed then when I was starting, but I didn't really use it. And, but still today, you know, I still have note, notepads on my desk, you know, and I, mm. I do like just writing stuff. Sometimes it's having it physically in front of you on a post-it note or in a notebook can be really useful, I think, because it just helps you kind of look at it. It just it's a constant, that constant reminder. I think the problem is with digital organization, you've got to remember to actually go in there and make it, you know, so, so sometimes just writing notes down, I think can actually be good, but it's different things yeah. to different people. You know? Yeah, no, but definitely that physical reminder of like, Oh, I, mm. every time I sit down at my desk, I see it. Yeah. Yes. It really yeah. Helps. How do you set goals for your team in terms of, you know, metrics and measurable outcomes? Because as a, as a startup, you don't really know how fast you're going or correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you do. No, I think you're, you're completely right. And, and I think my sort of approach has always been set expectations really high, mm. you know, because it gives people, you, you've got to, you've got to try and for your team, set them really high. So it feels like, you know, you've got to, for example, when you bring a new product to market, I will always say, you know, I want it ready within six months and then it will take a year, you know, mm. but <laughs> I think you've got to just try and, keep people on their toes to begin with but also be realistic about the situation you know if it's if you say a project is going to take six months and ends up taking a year that's just one of those things you know i think this is the the nature of when you're building complicated products uh, online things always take and, it, and you're a small team things always take longer but you know it's quite it's quite difficult sometimes to estimate exactly how long something could take or should take right. but ultimately i think if you kind of if you're ambitious with your goals, it's going to help, you know, jeer everyone on to kind of move forward quick, as quickly as possible. Even if, you know, and, and I think, you know, if people don't hit the goals, don't give them too much of a hard time. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. But certainly like, you know, I think being ambitious with your goals is always a good thing to do. And then of course, you know, just reevaluate them when, you, when, we, when you get close to it. But, you know, maybe just don't be too unrealistic about things as well. 
Got it. So you definitely err on the side of kind of pushing those limits. Yeah. Creating that opportunity for people to go after it. Because like, yep. let's say you, let's say you had that objective and you wanted to reach it within a year, maybe it would take two years, the same exact thing. Right? Yeah, sometimes it does. And, you know, again, when we're working on projects in development, we work um, according to Agile. So, uh, you know, we have two week sprints. And, you know, I suppose when you're looking at the, the longer term, you can maybe split that six month period up into two weeks and sort of start mapping out what would happen every two weeks. The thing is, sometimes development team don't always hit or fulfill every task within that two week sprint. So obviously, then stuff gets pushed forward into the next two week sprint. You know, the other problem with doing what we do is there's, of course, always going to be issues that arise. So sometimes people have to drop what they're doing to kind of fix problems that might come up. So especially once you're a live product or a live platform, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to be reactive to, 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 to situations that come up. So if something's not working properly, you know, the development team then end up having to fix things. But one of the things we started doing recently is, is actually working um, in a similar way for our marketing team. So marketing now have two week, working on two week sprints as well, which I mm. think has helped people, you know, before we didn't, before we always had like, you know, a list of, of sort of things we wanted to do. So it might be videos we wanted to create or articles we wanted to write about, mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily organized in, in, in that sort of structure. So, you know, it's, it's, it's helped the marketing team, I think, kind of keep focused and also it kind of breaks it down into manageable sections. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about marketing because I think a lot of businesses, that's the piece they struggle with because it seems so unrelated to like the, their specialty, whatever yes. they're doing, right? Yeah. What are kind of best practices in terms of marketing and, and how do people like get their mind wrapped around it? Interesting because when I first started, I really didn't like the idea of marketing or sales. You know, now I love it. Now it's, it's I'm probably more, when I started out, I was probably more technical, whereas now I'm more focused on marketing and sales and just the, the bigger idea mm -hmm. i think with marketing my approach has always just been to see it like a timeline you know you have your user and they want to get to this end result and there are little things that they need to do along the way to achieve this end result and if your marketing can tick those boxes where you know so for example someone who wants to start a podcast they they're here they don't know anything about podcasting and they get to the end i want to start a podcast so what do they need to do? Well, first of all, they might need to, you know, get a microphone, uh, you know, good quality microphone. So you can kind of give them some advice on which microphones to go out and buy and how to set it up. The next might be, you know, how do you record? So you could give recommendations on different types of software to record. The next might be, okay, how do I structure my show or how do I write a script? So again, you know, you can look at that and, and then basically if you can help people along this journey, and help them kind of reach that end goal and break it down into sections that are easy to follow. Not only do you build great goodwill in your marketplace, but then, you know, it makes the sell much easier. You're not having to sort of do the hard sell on someone because they've already got value from you up front. So then when you turn around and say, oh, by the way, you know, if you want to host your podcast with us, because we've helped someone sort of get the idea off the ground, they're much more likely to say, yeah, sure. Than, than just sort of um, if you just go in with that kind of cold hard sell from begin with. So really that's always been our or my approach to, to marketing and selling services online. And I think it works really well. Yeah. So basically you visualize their journey and mm. then you're kind of like in your marketing providing little signs for them. Yeah, so absolutely. Like this way. Yeah. And also, you know, the, if you try and map out that journey, I think 
there are going to be lots of other people who are kind of going on a similar journey. And of course, people will come in at different points. So for example, one of our most popular pieces of content on podcast.co is how to write a script for a podcast. You know, that's really popular. We get lots of traffic to that article. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, you need to make sure if you've got say, a piece of content that's doing really well, you have a clear call to action. So for example, on that piece of content, it's enter your email address here and we'll send you a free template for your podcast, like a template for the script. Mm-hmm. You're kind of actually making sure that they're then engaging with your brand versus just sort of reading the article and forgetting about you. And once you've then got, you, you know, they've opted into your email address, you can send them other cool things, which will help them with their, their quest. Right. Exactly. Like yeah. Really making sure that you follow through with them. Otherwise, yeah, it'll just be another blog post somebody reads rather than yes. a, an ongoing relationship. Yeah. Try and try and actually offer something of value for them to download or subscribe to, or, you know, another video that they could watch or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It sounds like now you spend more of your time kind of looking at the big picture rather than like coding or, or things like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I haven't written any code for probably eight or nine years now. Um, again, I think it was a useful skill to learn in the early days because it kind of, it taught me what's possible. And also, you know, it helps me, I think now understand, you know, how a product is actually constructed. So, you know, I understand how, how, how the, what you see on the website will link in with what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the servers and the database and this kind of thing. Mm. You know, whereas I, as I say, I don't, if I was to try and set all that stuff up now, write that myself now, I'd probably have no idea, but I kind of have it in my head anyway. So it's useful. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. You haven't written code in, eight or nine years yeah it's pretty cool (laughs) yeah well i mean bits here and there but nothing nothing significant you know Mm -hmm. gotcha Mm. well tell us about like some of the hardships you faced on the way because i'm sure that there were some times where you felt like you know is this working and you started kind of questioning that yeah sure i mean i've had um you know i've had quite a few businesses that haven't worked out as well as a few that have so yeah i think that's part of the journey i think sometimes you will invest sometimes quite a bit of money into something and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason it's not the right fit for the market or sometimes you can get into quickly interestingly i started trying to build a podcasting platform in like 2009 i think it was or 2010 and um you know that back then i it was still just me on my own i didn't have a team behind me and i kind of spent a while working on this this product you know, and it just, it just flopped. It didn't work. And for some, some reason I couldn't get it, gain any traction there. So I kind of just had to quickly put it to bed and say, right, okay, let's move on to the next, mm-hmm. you know, more recently in 2016, I launched a, um, a radio network called MCR live here in Manchester. There was an opportunity that came up to, uh, get a, a radio DA digital radio license, like for the local area. So I thought, well, we're a radio company. We create software for the industry. Let's get a radio station. And, and it was great fun. Um, we had probably two years where we ran it. We had, a, I had a, I hired a team to run it. So, you know, again, it was quite, I had like at one stage, six people working on that project just to try and get, you know, some momentum in the local area. And we had, a, you know, a team of like 50 odd people who would come and contribute to the station, you know, volunteers, DJs, people who would go out to gigs and review them. And it was a, you know, it was an absolutely amazing experience. I had so much fun running that company, but it didn't make any money. <laughs> so, mm. uh, you know, it was after two years, unfortunately, I had to just call it a day because 
we tried and tried and tried to get some kind of sponsorship or tried different ways to make it pay for itself and you know it just wasn't unfortunately it wasn't a goer so as much as fun as I had you know it was a very expensive uh it was a very expensive hobby for for two years you know so you have to kind of sometimes look at uh those things as failures yeah but what did you learn from it and you know it's not the end of the world we, we kind of we used the project to kind of further develop our radio platform so it was really useful to get feedback and have kind of almost like a a working example of, of what, what we built the platform for, you know, based right next to us in, in, um, in a building not so far from our main office. So it was, it was good fun. And of course we met a lot of interesting people along, along the way. So definitely. Well, yeah. What were some big lessons from that experience? I think some of the lessons were perhaps, I think I went in too much too quickly rather than like taking it. I think it, in retrospect, if I was going to do a project like that again, which is more, it was i don't think it, one of the main lesson i learned from is i didn't have a clear strategy of how i was going to monetize it right so it was we knew we knew that we, if we built something and we got an audience it would have some kind of value but i didn't think exactly right this is how we're going to get money and as a result you know we tried different things we tried looking at like local bars and restaurants things like that for sponsorship of course they don't have very big marketing budgets we then sort of spoke to some uh, larger companies so for example we spoke to like various alcohol uh, distribution or alcohol brands they were kind of just like yeah we like it but for some reason they just didn't want to they didn't see the need to kind of sponsor it and you know the numbers were good we had a decent audience by the time that we kind of finished the project we had lots of people on social media paying attention to our content we had people listening to the radio and obviously people engaging with video as well so we kind of got all that right but I think from the get-go i should have had a much more of a kind of clearer idea of exactly how we were going to monetize it mm-hmm. i think also um again I'm, i mentioned this before i think we probably just rather than sort of starting s- small and maybe validating the idea we i kind of just went all out we invested a load of money on a fancy studio and um, we hired probably like you know we hired um, one member of staff to begin with but we then very quickly hired like more staff to to work on that project it was probably rather than just sort of taking it slow, slower and sort of saying, right, okay, is this actually going to make some money? Is this going to, going to get some sponsorship on a kind of more of a minimal staff? Um, we kind of spent a lot on equipment and we even rented like a separate studio, which cost money. So there was, I think a few different things we, we did there, which probably I could have done differently in retrospect, but I kind of wanted to go all in. I wanted to create something that was like really cool, you know? So it was, Again, it was a bit of a uh, an extravagance to to go this far, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it, as I say, that that that's one of those that's one of those projects that I definitely I look back on when I have great memories. But uh, when I think about the money, it's kind of scary how much money we spent and and it didn't work out. You know. Yeah, but that's kind of part of the whole being an entrepreneur thing. That's absolutely right. You've got to sometimes take a risk to 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 get a reward. And sometimes you get take a risk and you get a reward and other times you take a risk and you don't. That's it. Yeah, exactly. But what's really interesting to me is that you were able to kind of just say, hey, it's not working. Let's turn the page. Like, let's move on. Yeah. Interestingly, it was kind of one of these things where we were talking about it. You know, it wasn't just my decision. It was that we were, we were, I was discussing it with the rest of the team and we were, you know, heading towards the launch of podcast.co and it was like, it, it was one of those tough decisions that I, I remember that eventually I just was like, we, we've given it two years mm-hmm. and if it was going to make some money, 
it would have it would have done by now and it was just it was it was sad to see it go because we built this really cool you know it was more of a community as well it was like you know we got lots of people involved with this project and it was kind of very close to a lot of people um and i was very proud of what we created it's just ultimately it was uh, uh you know it was making a loss it didn't make any money so that's that's kind of you have to get to a point i think sometimes where you're like right enough's enough what kind of mindset pieces have helped you get through times like those i don't know i think the, the more experience you get as an entrepreneur the easier you kind of you break down those hurdles in your head i remember years ago before i had uh before i had radio.co i had another business called wave streaming in a similar in the similar market we were selling services to the radio industry which was my first ever business and that you know one day i i was really lucky we were in the right place at the right time and i got this really big deal um, and it meant that the business really changed overnight we went from me being me and a couple of i had a couple of members of staff at that point to sort of growing scaling the team to about 10 and as soon as that deal came around it went uh you know so it was probably only lasted two years and i thought you know at that stage you, you have to sort of reevaluate where you are and what you're doing as an entrepreneur and ask yourself some tough questions and sort of think okay, do we just continue doing what we're doing now or do we kind of try and reinvent ourselves? And, and, and that's really how I transitioned from being wave streaming to, to radio.co, which as I say, are similar businesses. They have similar markets, but they are two different. They were two different products. And, and really radio.co came around because we'd suddenly had this big hit. We'd lost this big deal. And therefore, you know, our revenue very quickly did start to decline. So you, you kind of have to sort of think on your feet and I think sometimes it's those experiences that, you know, they teach you a lot of lessons. So I think the next time you do things, you, you try and not make the same mistakes again. So you're not reliant on one single point of failure, perhaps. You just look at the business and think, okay, well, how can we change this to kind of attract a new and better, more exciting kind of customer base? So that's really, that's what we did, or what I did at that stage. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's quite hard to kind of define. And I think everyone's journey is different, really that's how, how kind of my uh, that was one of the first big lessons I learned in business you know and I was only like 24 25 at the time you know mm -hmm. no what I'm hearing is that you're really asking yourself empowering questions like yeah. okay how can we change this to make it better like how can we maybe go after a different market or, or something like that rather than asking yourself maybe defeating questions like yeah oh, where where did i go wrong or, or something like that i completely agree and uh, you know i think uh, the interesting thing is jessica i like when it, i remember when i lost the deal i went into like a six month period where i was just i was beating myself up mentally you know i was really not in a good place and i was kind of just feeling sorry for myself and you know oh, it's all gone wrong and you know everything i've spent ages building up uh, you know building up has, has just gone and been sort of you know, stripped from under my feet kind of thing and you know but that's the reality of business sometimes you have to take knocks you've got to just kind of pick yourself up and and, and think right what's next and try and you know progress and, and learn from your mistakes and as you say ask those sort of try and draw positives from a negative experience i think sometimes that's really important you know because this is the thing when you're an entrepreneur when you're in business yes there are sometimes times where you succeed and you do well and other times you don't do so well but certainly with with the last sort of failed project i had i definitely didn't give myself as much of a hard time about it as I as the first time round. you know mm -hmm. you know it didn't didn't hurt half as much just because I kind of think I was more mentally equipped to deal with it yeah you kind of just get better at it and you, yeah you start picking yourself up you know sooner and, and easier yep yeah. 
Well, how do you think the whole space of broadcasting, you know, podcasting is changing? Yeah, it's an exciting space to be in at the moment. Interestingly, we've seen, you know, an uplift in signups on both radio.co and podcast.co but on both platforms during the sort of COVID-19 outbreak. And I think partly it's because people are looking for new ways to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, you know, a lot of people are in isolation or sat at home, you know, that, so they want to, you know, open up ways to, to sort of ha- express themselves. And I think podcasting and radio are both great ways, great platforms to do that. Um, I think the whole situation at the moment is, I mentioned earlier, I think it's going to change the way that companies employ, but I think also it's certainly changing the way that a lot of people are communicating. Mm-hmm. People are embracing the uh, internet as a kind of more of a communications tool, not just for social media. I think this is a difference, isn't it? I think the last 10 years, when you look at it, everyone's just been on social media glued to their feed, scrolling through. Whereas now I think people are actually thinking about more interesting and more in prop, you know, like a, using the internet to engage it in a more of a deeper way versus just like looking at funny videos and stuff. Mm, I see. So less entertainment, more like real genuine connection. And I think, I think this is what most podcasts are trying to do. You know, like when you look at, for example, your podcast, you know, and, and, and many others, it's about having sort of meaningful conversations at length about stuff that really matters to people versus just kind of making silly videos about cats or whatever, you know? So I think this is, this is how the medium is, is diff differs to sort of traditional social media. Mm -hmm. What drives you every day when you get up? Like what motivates you to keep working in this? It's a good question. I don't, I still don't know if I know the answer to that really. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've always been, I've always had that sort of curiosity. I always like to sort of learn new things and I just like projects to work on and I love just seeing something kind of materialize. So, you know, that feeling of when you create something and then you build it into something that other people are using or other people are benefiting from and actually getting that feedback and seeing people engage with a platform. So for example, Matchmaker is a great example. You know, we, we launched that, it's got four and a half thousand users you know, every single day I hear from users who are like, this is amazing. I've already made four or five different bookings and I've only been on the platform for 24 hours. Mm. And it's just stuff like that that I think kind of helps spur me on because it's just, uh, you know, you you get a sense of, wow, I created this. This came from literally in here. Mm. And it's now something that people are actually using and, and, and enjoying and benefiting from. And I think that's kind of possibly one of the things that motivates me the most. Gotcha. So that like the pride of having helped somebody and, and yeah and, and and created something of 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 use of value you know it's just like it, it's weird when you when you build something online you build a software product it's not like a physical thing you know it's not like you're actually you know building a physical item mm-hmm. but it's something it's it's you're building intellectual property which is you know therefore useful to people uh, but it, it's it's a similar kind of process. It's like it's I've always enjoyed that process of construction and actually and, and turning an idea into something that is useful. I think that's kind of the, the process that I, I enjoy the most, really. Yeah, no, that's really beautifully said. And I think that a lot of people certainly have benefited from what you've done, like even in the past you know, few months with Matchmaker, yeah. thousands of signups, that's thousands of connections. I mean, mm-hmm. I've probably booked a dozen people from it and and these are like real people connecting across the world so that's really cool yeah well that's really good to hear you know again that's that's exactly what we intended the the service to do so 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. Shows we're doing a good job, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I've met some really amazing people and cool. it's kind of like, you know, we would have never met otherwise. Right. Great. Yeah. Good to hear. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, James, for sharing like so much of what you've been doing and in the tough times as well, because I think it's good to have a genuine look at what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Thank you very much for having me on, Nick. So it's been a great pleasure.